Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. Sorry I missed you last week. Uh, what happened was I was recuperating from uh, the Baby Boomer Badge of Honor. And that means that on uh, June 22nd, what was that, Wednesday, I had a hip replaced. So now I join the vast army of baby boomers that have had replaced hips and knees and all of that stuff. But I'm fine. I'm fine. In fact, uh, I'm walking around without any assistance and feeling pretty good. So in another few weeks, I'll be back on the soccer field. <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway, glad to have you along. We are doing an archive show, and uh, the show that we're about to play you was one of our Boomer Boulevard shows that was first broadcast June 6th, back in 2016. By the way, people have asked me, uh, are you ever going to start doing live shows again? And I think I've explained for those of you that have been listening for some time, it's very difficult with my schedule the way it is now, because I am not retired, I am still working, and I have a number of responsibilities that I must take care of, and the shows were really crowding into that, so I had to set priorities. Now, the reason I did it the way I'm doing it is because I have this vast archive of uh, 12 years of shows or so. So I'll continue playing those until I do retire, probably in about two years, and then we'll think about going back and doing some more original shows. There's some exciting stuff happening in old-time radio, and uh, I look forward to talking to you about it. Maybe someday I'll surprise you with just one or two uh, original shows. Anyway, here we go. We're going back to uh, June the 6th, 2016, and I hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. Finished up with his personal business, and he's back here, and he's got a few surprises up his sleeve tonight. So we're happy to have him back. Welcome back, Chester. Thank you. And welcome to all of you. So glad to have you along. This is Bob Burrow. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. This is the show where we play old-time radio shows that we actually remember from when we were kids. Sometimes we remember them from television, because many of these shows were done in the early days of television. But we remember the shows, we remember the stars, and it's just a lot of fun to reminisce about that time period in our lives. If you're not a baby boomer, that's okay. You come along, too, because we're going to have a lot of fun. I'll give you our lineup. We are going to have an episode, a couple new shows tonight for us. New shows for us. We're going to have an episode of The Saint... 
with Vincent Price. We're going to have an episode of Blondie, the famous comic strip, and then we're going to finish things up on the streets of Dodge City with an episode of Gunsmoke. Good lineup tonight, and it's all going to get started in just a minute. Well, it's great to have you all back with us. It's great to have Chester back with us. And this week, we're going to start things off with an episode of The Saint. This is a show that we've never really played before. Chester, what's with the music? What? Oh, the whistle. Oh, the... <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, all right. I don't... It sounds like a Western. Okay, Chester said he chose this theme music because uh, to intro the show because he associates whistling with the saint. By the way, at the end of this uh, episode, did you know that Chester has a band and he's going to he's going to surprise us. He's, he, he brought the band in and I've I've listened to them during the during the rehearsal <laughs> and you're going to be surprised. But they're 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 going to play a surprise tune for you at at the end of uh, at the end of the saint. Anyway, the saint. Uh, what can we tell you about it? The show was on several different times for di- several different uh, networks with different stars. The final run began in June of 1950. It was a summer replacement for Phil Harris and Alice Bay. Uh, it was on NBC on this uh, this final incarnation. And uh, it lasted until October 51. In fact, it lasted longer in this version than in any other. And when it first uh, was introduced, it got some negative reviews. Some of the folks said it was kind of boring. Some said Vincent Price was frightfully dull. Well, I don't know. I always found Vincent Price kind of a, kind of a fun guy. Vincent Price was born right here in St. Louis. And uh, his father was the president of the National Candy Company. Now, I tried to look them up and see what kind of candy they made, but I couldn't find it. His grandfather was uh, the inventor of Dr. Price's baking powder, which was the first cream of tartar-based baking powder. And he made a fortune for the family. Price was of English descent. He was a descendant of Peregrine White, who was the first child born in colonial Massachusetts. He was actually born on the Mayflower while it was in Boston Harbor there. Price attended uh, school in St. Louis in 1933. He graduated with a degree in art history from Yale, where he worked on the campus humor magazine, the Yale Record. He taught for a year, and then he entered the University of London, and he was going to study for his master's degree in fine arts, but instead he was drawn to the theater, first appearing on stage professionally in 1934. 
His acting career began in London in 1935, and then he went on to perform with Orson Welles in the Mercury Theater. And, of course, then he became a semi-leading man. Uh, He did a lot of mysteries in the early days, and, of course, he ended up as very well-known in the horror genre. I remember Vincent Price and all those cheap, cheap horror movies from the from the late 50s. But, of course, I remember him on all kinds of guest appearances on TV shows. And Vincent Price was very, very prolific, and he was around a lot when we were kids. All right, here it goes. This is The Saint. This one was originally broadcast on NBC on August the 6th, 1950, and it's got a clever title. It's entitled, The Corpse Said Ouch. Here it comes. Adventures of the Saint, starring Vincent Price. The Saints, based on characters created by Leslie Charteris and known to millions from books, magazines, and motion pictures. The Robin Hood of modern crime now comes transcribed to radio, starring Hollywood's brilliant and talented actor Vincent Price as... The Saint. I'm not home. It's the middle of the night and I'm asleep. I'm in Schenectady, sitting up with a sick aunt. Hello. Hello. Are you Simon Templer? Well, come in and we'll compare Social Security cards. Thank you. I thought you were in Schenectady. Never heard of the place. Sitting up with a sick aunt. She recovered suddenly. Simon... I need help, desperately. Why? Because I'm dead. You're what? Dead. Oh, well, of course, some of my best friends... Simon, my name is Francis Blake. Here, read this. Read? That little item down in the corner, under obituaries. Obituaries? Hmm. Says here that the body of Francis Blake is at the Restwell Chapel... Burial at noon tomorrow. You see, the newspapers say that I'm dead. Yeah, but I don't know whether to believe them or not. You uh, are Francis Blake? Oh, of course I am. Mm. Come here a moment. All right. Thank you. Now... Simon, what are you... I beg your pardon. You... you pinched me. Yes? But... Well, I had to make sure I wasn't dreaming. But you're supposed to pinch yourself if you think you're dreaming. I know, but this way was more fun. (laughs) Also, I never heard a corpse say ouch before. Therefore, you're not dead. I already knew that. I didn't. Now that that's settled, I think perhaps we ought to go visit. Visit whom? Your corpse. Right. Never mind, Louie. Oh, Mr. Templer. Had I have known it was you, I wouldn't have bothered with the whims. Had I known it was you, I just wouldn't have bothered. However, Francis... Oh, thank you. Uh, 
Louis should perhaps be explained. He's a cab driver I try to avoid. I rarely succeed. Which proves to me that my life isn't all that it should be. Keep it clean. And where at this hour of the night are you going? The Restwell Chapel. Get another cab. Louis. Okay, okay. Some sport. Takes a girl to see a funeral parlor in the middle of the night. I'm merely taking her home. She lives in a funeral parlor? She's dead in a funeral parlor. Who's dead? Miss Blake. Huh? Me. Excuse me, but Louis, I got don't it. take I your hands off gonna... the wheel. I already did. Yes, so? She said, ouch. Personally, I would have liked to find out for myself, but if you say so... I do. I'll take your word for it. Only, how are you going to explain to the funeral parlor her riding around in cabs with you? Simple. I am apparently the kind of a man a girl wouldn't mind being seen dead with. <laughs> Chapel at your service. Hmm. Uh, Louis. I know. Wait. But I'm telling you one thing, considering the type of company you're keeping, I ain't waiting till nobody plays no hot licks on a trumpet. Steve. I don't think you'll have to. Come along, Francis. All right. I, I've been trying to pretend to myself that it's all some kind of a joke, but that funeral parlor looks too real. Well, we'll find out soon enough. One nice thing about funeral parlors, they're always open. That you call nice? <laughs> she have a point there. Ooh, listen to that doorbell. Chopin, at least. Ah. I beg your pardon? I said, ah. Ah. <laughs> Come in, Francis. This is an hour that comes to all. Except in states that don't have daylight saving. I, sir, was referring to your bereavement. Uh, whom are you mourning? We would like to look at Francis Blake. The hour is late, but grief knows no clock. Good heavens, an epigram. We try, sir. If you'll follow me. <laughs> Thank you. Ah, here we are. And there she is. Beautiful, isn't she? Very. Simon, she does look like me. A little bit, but hardly enough to explain. Uh, how did she get here? Miss Blakeman. Mm. The uh, police brought her. Oh, I see. Uh, who identified her? Well, that was hardly necessary. Her coat over there in the corner. Simon! Wait a minute, Francis. What about her coat? It had her name on the label. Now I shall withdraw You'll want to be alone with your grief. All right, but make a sound withdrawing, please. Uh, so we'll know you're withdrawn? Oh, really, sir, it's no use jesting. The dead never laugh. <laughs> well, he's withdrawn. Simon, that's my coat. It is mine, Simon, but, but look. Yes, two holes in the front of it, bullet holes. Bullet holes? The girl here, whoever she is, was, was murdered. Come on, we better get out. All right, but I'm taking my coat. I don't think... It's mine, not hers. It belongs to me, even though she was murdered in it. Mm. Simon. 
Simon, what was that girl doing with my coat? Wearing it when she was shot, presumably. But... There's another question, perhaps a more important one. Why was she shot in the first place? I suppose she had enemies. Have you? Back again? Yeah, we're back again. Francis. Oh, thank you. The little lady lost her place? Uh, Francis, where do you live? The Thornton Towers. Louis. I heard. Simon, back there. Why did you ask if I had any enemies? The coat's a distinctive one. Well, it's a very colorful plan. Yes, the girl back at the funeral parlor was murdered while wearing it. The question comes to, was her wearing the coat when she was killed merely a coincidence, or was she killed because her murderer thought she was, uh, you? The Thornton Towers. Yeah, here you are, Louis, and, uh... I know. Don't wait. On account of your sitting up with a dead friend. <laughs> Good night, Louis. Good night. Good night, folks. Oh, Simon, it's so good to be back home. My apartment's down the corridor. Simon, I feel terrible. Oh, you needn't. But what you said in the cab. She was wearing my coat, a very distinctive one. And then she was shot to death. That girl is dead because of me. No, we don't really know that. Well, it must be so. Somebody thought she was me and killed her. Mm, that's possible. But then, that means that somebody wants to kill me. Is uh, this your door? Hmm? Oh, yes. yes. Of course, it's also possible that someone didn't like the coat and... Uh, hey, did you leave your lights on when you left? No. There's a light in the room ahead. Well, that's the living room. You stay here in the hall. I'll go ahead and see who it is. But I... I just want to make sure they're neutral on the subject of plaid coats. Or you. Shh. Oh. Oh. Hello. Hello. Ah, how she was beautiful. Your wife. My what? Your wife. It's her picture on the desk there, no? Well, that does seem to be a picture of Francis. And your name, she is? Uh, my name's Simon. Ah, it is a name that fills herself with the soul, no? No. <laughs> I knew that tonight, of all nights, you would be lonely. Believe me, I'm so not lonely. I... I am here. Oh, your wife, she must have been a wonderful woman. She, uh... Your life with her was the magnificent symphony, no? Mm, chamber music would probably be more accurate if you... And want. now that she is, alas, gone, I am here. Without even a pause for station identification. Look, who are you? I am Olga. Simon, I... Who is she? Olga. Who is she? Francis, and now that you two have met... Waiting uh... a moment, huh? Aha. I look on the picture, I look on the flash... The what? The flash, of which I might adding, your wife is perhaps carrying a little too much here and there. Especially there. Now, just a minute. You mustn't point out her bad manners. But I am seeing your wife. She is not dead. She isn't. That is, Francis isn't. If you like, you could try pinching her. I never pinch... Except boys. Oh. Simon, you are disappointing me. Goodbye. 
Well, that was quite a performance. Personally, I didn't care for her cadenza. Oh, I don't know. It was a nice cadenza, and the tutti was definitely fruity. Mm. <laughs> that is, uh, um, uh, Francis, the whole thing was camouflaged. For what? Take a look at the room. The room? Oh! Yes, it looks as if a junior hurricane had visited it. You mean somebody of Olga searched the room? Uh-huh, this one, and, uh... Yeah, the bedroom as well. But, Simon, what was she looking for? I don't know. Whatever it was, she didn't find it. Our entrance stopped her search. Well, I'd better start straightening things up a bit. Good idea. I'll help you. Well, shouldn't you be going home? Oh, I don't think so. You may get some more visitors later on and rougher ones than Olga. Why? Well, maybe they'll tell us if we ask them prettily. In the meanwhile... Yes, Simon? We can practice the overture to that symphony Olga mentioned. Yes. It's getting awfully late. Yes, I know. We really can't sit up all night waiting for someone to come. We don't even know for sure that someone will. Olga got into this apartment and someone else did before her. Someone else? Of course. Your coat was stolen, wasn't it? Well, I suppose, but not from the apartment side. Not from... Well, where was it stolen from? Well, I can't be sure, of course, but I gave that coat to the cleaning shop down the block about a week ago. Cleaning shop? Mm-hmm. What's the name of it? The Carter Cleaners. Why? Because evidently it started out from there to wind up on a murdered girl's body. Therefore, come on. We're gonna... Yes, believe it or not, I'm taking you to the cleaners. I thought I told you not to wait. This is a free country? Yes. There's a but... parking limit in this here cave, maybe? No, but... I waited. But we're only going down the block a little bit. You can't afford a quarter? I like to walk. Uh, what do you get from walking? Exercise. Uh-huh. And from exercise, an enlarged heart. From an enlarged heart, you know how many people each year drop dead? Add them up. We're walking. Come on, Francis. Simon, you're worried. Moderately, about all those people with enlarged hearts. Uh, this is the place, huh? Yes, yes. Uh, front door is shut, but there's a light inside. Let's try. It's locked. However... I think someone's coming. Recognize him? Yes. Yes, that's Mr. Maxson, the manager. Oh, what do you want? Uh, do you mind if we come in? Look, it may have escaped your attention, but it happens to be after two o'clock in the morning. Why do you want to come in? The rain. It's not raining. But suppose it starts I here. happen to be a very tired man. You should go home earlier. I shouldn't be bothered by drunks. I'm not drunk. We've stopped by for Miss Blake's coat. Coat? The plaid. As I may have mentioned before, we are not open for business. And then what are you doing here? I'm crazy about carbon tetrachloride fumes. I'd still like the coat. Oh, then please do stop by in the morning. Simon, why did you... I wanted to find out if the cleaning store knew the plaid coat was gone. But we didn't find out, did we? No, nevertheless, we've worried Mr. Maxson. Thank heaven Louie's handy. Hey, hey, Louie! Louie! <laughs> you give up, huh? Yeah. Into the cab, Francis. All right. Well... 
Name your destination, Mr. Templer. A very long trip. Yeah? Drive to the back of the cleaning store. You'll probably have to go around the block. That alley must lead there. Okay. But, Simon, why are we going to the back of the store? Because we're going in? No, because I suspect Mr. Maxon is going out. All this here is maybe none of my business. It isn't. Oh, you know, a remark like that could easily hurt a fellow's feelings. I'm sorry. No, it didn't hurt mine. I'm sorry, still. But... You're not spending this PM in the way a PM should be spent. Nonsense. So far, it's all been good, clean fun. That's what I mean. Simon, Mr. Maxon hasn't come out of the store yet. No, he may be coy, however. But why should he have anything to do with anything? He shouldn't, but it's very possible that... Simon! Yeah, yeah, Mr. Maxon is shutting up shop. Coming down the back alley, which confirms something or other. You mean if he weren't hiding something, he wouldn't use the back way? Perhaps. We're far enough away from the alley for him not to notice. Look, he's turning the corner. Louis. I am alert. Not for nothing was I a Boy Scout. Although, actually, what I was a Boy Scout for was a certain Girl Scout. Hold it a minute. He's getting into that... He's a villain. That's a convertible. Everybody knows. Only villains ride around in convertibles. He started. Louis. Here we go. Yeah, I better stop right here, huh? Uh-huh. Simon, he's going into that nightclub. Interesting place for a store manager to finish his evening's work. Let's go, Francis. Uh, leave me know how the floor show is. I'll be sure to. Hmm, Barker's Bandbox. I've heard of the club. Yeah, and I've heard of Barker. Nothing complimentary either. Well, here it is, and in we go. <laughs> Crowded and needs ventilation. The floor show? <laughs> Emphasis on show. Simon, Mr. Maxon's over there. Yeah, ducking out of the door near the piano. Let's follow in his shifty footsteps, huh? Gee, I, I hope nobody notices it. With what's going on, or rather coming off, I don't think so. Oh, it's so dark in this hallway. Yeah, listen. I can't hear what they're saying. Yeah, we can get a little closer. Now, wait a minute, Barker. Look, I've been waiting long enough. Where the stones? I told you, the girl disappeared. I know what you told me. Don't give me the stones. Now, suppose you tell me where the stones are. I, I, I don't know where they are. Stones. Yeah, Barker's Look, got quite a reputation a as a crook of various kinds. Stones are jewelry and unquestionably stolen jewelry. I... You having fun, fellas? Oh! Hope I didn't frighten you, lady. Coming up behind you, two nosy people like this. That was her asthma. Yeah. This here's a rod. How, uh, how cute. Could I see it? Uh, let go. Simon, I've got his gun. Yeah, and I've got a fist. Let's see what happens. Uh, how gratifying. I hit him and he fell down. Jake! Come on. All that could happen to us in here... Jake! ...would be fatal. I know. It's always a little nervous-making. Well, here we are. Thanks, Simon. No, not yet. I'm going in with you. But... No, for safety. Oh. You... You think maybe... I'm just not taking any chances. For 
he is, all right. Living room. Francis. What? Don't look across the room. Olga's back, but this time she's staying. What do you mean? I I hope you wouldn't see her. She isn't beautiful anymore. No. Just dead. I better phone the police. Wait, Simon. You know this thing started with Francis Blake being dead. But it wasn't Francis Blake. It was another girl. And then someone else got killed. Olga. Still not Francis Blake. But, Simon, the next time, do you... Do you think maybe it will be? Good night, Lieutenant. Thanks for dropping over. And exit, Olga. Exit, police. Francis. Yes, Simon. You better go to bed. I'll stay on. It's almost morning anyway. Oh, well, I couldn't sleep. Would you like me to uh, fix us some breakfast? Oh, say, that's not a bad idea if you feel up to it. Oh, I don't know how I feel. You stay right where you are. Won't take me more than a few minutes. All right. That's all the sound you're going to make, sister. The gun's loaded. If you've got ideas about yelling for help, remember this. Bullets get to you quicker than help. Now, let's get out of here. By the service door like I come in. But, Simon... And the boyfriend, you write him a letter from where you're going. If you're lucky, sister. And I hope you're lucky. You're too pretty to enjoy dying so quick. Francis, what are you cooking? Steak? <laughs> Francis, I don't intend to oversee your cooking, but... Francis. Francis. Oh, here she is, Mr. Barker. Yeah. Nice work, Jeff. Hi. I want to know what this is all about. Yeah, I bet you do. You and me both, baby. What'd you do with the stones? The stones? Yeah, yeah, the chorus girl's delight, the old man's charm, the stones. Oh, you mean jewels. I don't have any. Maybe not on you, but you're going to tell us where they are, won't you, baby? Suppose I don't know. I wouldn't care to believe that. Well, you, you'd better start because I don't know. All right. I'll start not believing you. Jake. Yeah? I don't believe her. I don't think she's behaving right. You don't, huh? I don't. Ah, okay, Mr. Barker. What? What are you going to do? I'm going to slap you around a bit. It's going to hurt you more than it hurts me, too. Oh, no, you you can't. Want to bet? Hold it, hold it a minute, Jake. I'll get it. Yeah? Barker? Who are you? Simon Templer. You've got Francis Blake there, haven't you? It's your phone, Cole. You must have. Listen, if you don't hurt her in any way, I'll get you the stones you're looking for. She doesn't know where they are. Matter of fact, where are the stones? The Carter Cleaner's shop. Look, don't hand me that. We've already been through the joint. But you didn't know where to look. Yeah? That nah, could be a deal. Okay. But your girlfriend will be under a gun all the time. First funny move and she gets it. No funny moves. We'll be seeing you. Okay, Jake, we're going visiting. Maybe we'll trade in a babe for the stones. If the stones are handed over. If they ain't, we'll just trade her in. Hello? 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 Hello
That's right, Mr. Maxson. I was looking for a plaid coat. Plaid? Yes, maybe it would be here on this rack. Oh, it wouldn't be there. You see, this rack is for dresses. And this is for last night. <laughs> Sorry to have upset you, Mr. Maxson, but company's coming and I've got to set the table for them. Looks clean. No blue uniforms are on. Park it, Jake. Okay. Here we go, baby. I can walk by myself. Yeah, I know, I know, but I enjoy your company. Simon! Hello, Francis. You Templar? That's right. Simon, I... Hey, stay next to me, sister. I better just lock the door so we won't be interrupted. All right, where are the stones? Yeah, they're in the place here. They must be. I don't like the sound of that. It could be a stall. What's that? And Mr. Maxson, he fell down while he was pressing some suits or something. Yeah? Get up, Maxson. Come on. What? Uh, oh. oh. Oh, hello, Mr. Barker. Hello, rat. Oh, you you don't have to talk that way, Mr. Barker. I can't help it if the stones were stolen from me, if the woman double-crossed me. This babe here? Yeah. Why don't you work her over, Mr. Barker, and, and her boyfriend? After all, they're the ones who killed Olga, aren't they? It was a narrow part. Never mind, Olga. I liked the kid. I sent her out the job. She got it. Business, you got to cut your losses when you have to. I still want the stones. Are you? They are here. They have to be. Then find them. I've looked, but they're hidden cleverly. I... You sound like a guy up a tree, mister, and in just a couple of seconds, I'm going to cut that tree down. Tree? Hey, wait a minute. Tree? Suppose you wanted to hide a tree so you couldn't find it. Where would you hide it? I ain't interested in hiding trees. You'd hide it in a forest, of course. Therefore, going through the place, I noticed... Francis, go through that dress rack. Dress rack? Find a dress, any dress, that doesn't seem to belong. Well, all right. Well, I don't get it, boss. Who wants to hide a tree? Get up, Jake. Maybe it's that simple. Oh, Simon, I'm not sure what you mean, but this shop is in a pretty expensive neighborhood. All the dresses here are very good ones, except this one. It's quite cheap, covered with cheap rhinestones. Let me have it. Yes, of course it doesn't belong here. Why is it here? Because it's a forest. Looks like a rag to me, not like a forest. Then suppose you take another look at some of the rhinestones, huh? Let me have it. Hey. Yeah, most of the things sewn on that dress are cheap rhinestones, but among them... Are the genuine stones, the ones we've been looking for. Well, nice work, Maxon. I, I, I didn't know anything about it. Somebody else must have done the, the frame here. No, no kidding. Wait a minute, Barker, wait, wait, I... I, I... For what? I'm gonna tell you something, Maxon. No, Barker, I... You sure told him. Never did like a double crosser. Hey, yo, where you going? Well, it occurred to me you mightn't like witnesses either. Oh, oh. Francis, stay behind. Hey, what are you... Pressing machine filled up quite a lot of steam pressure. I kicked the outlet pipe off and it's aimed at you. You better scram, Barker, unless you want to get parboiled. Why are you? It's getting too hot in here. Come on. You're leaving us? Oh, they've gone. Yes, Francis, but not for long. And the police won't have much trouble picking them up with them all... Forgive me, but I can't resist it. With them all steamed up. 
terribly grateful, but I can't resist... Francis. ...asking you what it was all about. Oh. Oh, an intellectual, huh? <laughs> well, you see, Francis... Maxon and Barker were partners in the jewelry business. Illegitimate. Oh. Uh, they worked out a nice idea. They'd use very distinctive clothes left with a cleaning shop as disguises for themselves and their confederates. Oh. And disguises which couldn't be traced because they'd lead back only to perfectly innocent people who had alibis and everything. Mm -hmm. Right. And the last job they did involved a girl who wore your plaid coat while stealing the jewels. Oh. Maxon, however, decided he wanted all the jewels for himself. So he killed the girl and hid the stones. And Olga? He had to kill Olga because she suspected something wrong and came to this apartment because that's where the plaid coat came from. Mm -hmm. Well, but how did you know that Maxon had killed her? Back in the shop, he said Olga had been killed in this apartment. How did he know that? Because he'd killed her. Oh, Simon, what would I have done without you? <laughs> the question is, what are you going to do with me? You've been listening to another transcribed adventure of the saint, the Robin Hood of modern crime. Now here is our star, Vincent Price. Ladies and gentlemen, our cast tonight included Shirley Mitchell, Viola Vaughn, Larry Dobkin, Lou Merrill, Tony Barrett, and Jack Moyles. This is Vincent Price inviting you to join us again next week at the same time for another exciting adventure of the saint. Good night. Saint fans will be glad to know that the Saint comic books are on sale at all newsstands. Your announcer is Don Stanley. Programs, get your programs here. Tomorrow night, tune here for Nightbeat. Hear the unusual tales uncovered by reporter Randy Stone as he searches Chicago after dark for human interest stories. Tomorrow night and every Monday night, here at Nightbeat. And then stay tuned for the first piano quartet. Next, Sam Spade cuts a caper. Then Rose Bampton sings on NBC. Well, if you would have turned into NBC to hear Alice Fay and Phil Harris back on August 6, 1950, you wouldn't have heard them. You would have heard that episode of The Saint, which was their summer replacement show. And the name of that episode was The Corpse Set Ouch. I, I like Vincent Price in that. I mean, he's Vincent Price. I guess that's part of the part of the charm of it. It's very tongue-in-cheek. You know what would have ruined that show, in my opinion, is if they would have used organ music instead of a, a an orchestra or a band. Orchestra? Whatever. Their small group that they, they use for the background music adds a lot. That show kind of uh, screams for an organ, and I'm so glad they didn't go for the cheap and do that because uh, it added a lot of quality to the show. I like Larry Dopkin too as the uh, as the cab driver. All right, speaking of orchestras and bands and all that stuff, I had mentioned before the show or that episode that uh, 
Chester has a band. Chester's a drummer. He's always back there drumming on on the tops of things as as we're talking, but he he's a very accomplished drummer, and he's got a band that he put together, and Chester is the one that chose the saint to be played today, and the reason why is he used to love the TV theme song, and his band came together and made a well, you listen to it. I think it's pretty cool. But listen to the drums, man. Chester really goes wild on the drums. Okay, guys, you ready? Here they are with the theme song to the TV show The Saint. Good, I told you it was good.
Hang on, it's not over yet. Big finish coming. Chester and the band. Oh, he is exhausted. They're all exhausted, but Chester, his arms are about to fall off. My goodness, that was good. Oh, shoot. We, we'll, have to, we'll have to bring them in for, for other, uh, other songs. That was great, guys. Thanks so much. Yeah. Hey, listen, uh, Chester, I'll tell you what. Before, I, I know you got to regroup in there. I, yeah, you're exhausted. He's, got, he's pouring water over the top of his head. Uh, let's go ahead and play that Bob Newhart uh, routine. We'll do that before we open the comedy corner. Here, here's a very funny bit that Bob Newhart did uh, a number of years ago involving Abraham Lincoln and a public relations expert. I, I, I think you'll get a kick out of it. Good going, guys. Just absolutely tremendous. Many of you may have read The Hidden Persuaders. It's about advertising. And one of the points the book made was that the real danger of the public relations man or the advertising man was that they were creating images. And they felt that in the presidential campaigns, the candidates were really getting closer and closer together. There was no real difference between them. And you were really voting for the man. And this got me to thinking, supposing this science were as far advanced during the Civil War as it is today, and there was no Lincoln. Now, the advertising people realizing this, would have had to create a Lincoln. And I think they would have gone about it something like this. This is a telephone conversation between Abe and his press agent just before Gettysburg. Uh, Hi, Abe, sweetheart, how are you? (laughs) Uh, How's Gettysburg? Sort of a drag, huh? Well, Abe, you know them small Pennsylvania towns. <laughs> you seen one, you seen them all. <laughs> right. Uh, listen, Abe, I got the note. What, what, what's the problem? You're, you're, you're thinking of shaving it off. Uh, Abe, uh, don't you see that's part of the image? Right, with the, with the shawl and the stovepipe at the string tie. You, you don't have the shawl. Uh, where's the shawl, Abe? You left it in Washington. What are you wearing, Abe? A sort of cardigan? Abe, uh, don't you see that doesn't fit with, with the, with the uh, string tie and the beard? Abe, would you, would you leave the beard on? 
and get the show. Huh? All right, well, now what's this about Grant? You're getting a lot of complaints on Grant's drinking, huh? Uh, Abe, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, I don't see the problem. I mean, you, you knew he was a lush when you pointed him, you see him? <laughs> You're gag, gag writers. Yeah, you're gag writers. You're, you you want to come back with something funny? Huh? Maybe an anecdote about a town drunk. Well, I can't promise anything, Abe. I, I, I'll get him working on it. Right, Abe, you got the speech. Abe, you haven't changed the speech, have you? Uh, Abe, what do you change the speeches for? <laughs> A couple minor changes, I'll, I'll, I'll bet. All right, all right, all right, what are they? You what? You, you typed it. Abe, uh, how many times have we told you on the backs of envelopes? I, I understand it's harder to read that way, Abe, but it, it looks like you wrote it on a train coming down. Abe, could you do this? Could you memorize it and then put it on the backs of the envelopes? We're getting a lot of play in the press on that. How are the envelopes holding out? <laughs> you can stand another box. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll stand All right. What, what else, Abe? You change you change four score and seven to to eighty-seven. <laughs> I understand not the same thing. Abe. Well, Abe, that's meant to be a grabber. Abe, uh, we test marketed that in any area. And they went out of their minds. Trust. Well, Abe, it's sort of it's sort of like Mark Anthony saying, uh, uh, friends, Romans, countrymen, I've got something I want to tell you. You see, you see what I mean, Abe? Abe? What, what, what else? People will little note nor long remember Hey, what could possibly be wrong with that? They'll remember it. Hey, they'll remember it. It's the old humble bit. You can't say it's a great speech. I think everybody's going to remember it, Abe. Hey, you come off a bragger, don't you see that? Hey, hey, do the speech the way Charlie wrote it, would you? The inaugural address swung, didn't it? Any, anything else? You, you talk to some newspaper men. Uh, Abe, I wish you wouldn't talk to newspaper men. Well, you always put your foot in. No, that's just what I mean, Abe. No, no. No, no, no. You are a rail splitter, then an attorney. <laughs> Abe, it, it doesn't make any sense that way. I mean, you wouldn't give up your law practice to become a rail splitter, don't you? Would you read the biog, Abe? You'll save a lot of trouble on this end. Uh, Abe, Abe, listen, before I forget, uh, uh, the manufacturer is, is coming out with the Abe Lincoln T-shirt uh, on Tuesday. Uh, could, could you work that into the address somewhere, Abe? Uh, play it by ear, wh wh whatever you can do. Uh, Abe, you, have you got a pencil and paper there? Would you take this down? You can fool all of the people some of the time, and some of the people, all of the time. But you can't fool all the people, all the time. Well, you keep doing it differently. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
the, the last quote I got was, you can fool all the people all the time. And you... Abe, Abe, hold on, hold on. Uh, they come up with a thing on Grant. Right, right. Good. Good. Yeah, all beautiful. Abe, listen to this. this is, they got a beautiful squelch on Grant. Right. The next time they bug you about Grant's drinking, you tell them you're going to find out what Brandy drinks and send a case of it to all your other generals. Uh, no, no, it's, it's uh, like, like the brand uh, was the reason he won. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, uh, Abe, uh, use it, it's funny. <laughs> Trust me, Mr. Uh, Saturday, Saturday night? Oh, Abe, I'm sorry, I'm going I'm to be in New York Saturday night. Uh, a bridge party at the White House? Oh, Abe, I'd, I'd love to make it. Uh, how about Seward? You try him. He, he'll be out of town too, huh? Oh, that's that's a, you, you you and you and uh, what's your name? Be home alone. Mary, be home alone. Huh? Uh, listen, Abe. Uh, why don't you take an employee? I'll, I'll be talking to you. Go on. That was Bob Newhart. Very very funny bit. A great premise. I think that was from the button-down mind of Bob Newhart. or I don't know. He had several comedy albums. I heard an interview with him. Uh, I think Mark Marin did it. And uh, it was very interesting how he just kind of sprung onto the comedy scene nationally, even to the resentment of a lot of people that had put in a lot of years paying dues uh, to get where they were. And he just he just sprang in there. But that's a story for another time. Well, that's got us, uh, that has whet our appetite to, to laugh a little bit. So let's introduce the Comedy Corner. Something familiar. Something peculiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Ah! Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Nothing with kings. With crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Ah! Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, comedy tonight. <laughs> well, on our comedy quarter this week, we're going to do another show that we've never done before, and that's Blondie. Blondie, of course, was based on the great comic strip that's still running in newspapers. We'll talk a little bit about that on the other side of the show. The radio show was based more on a series of Blondie movies. Blondie was adopted into a long-running series of 28 movies. They were mostly low-budget, second feature, B-features, as you would, that were produced by Columbia Pictures. The first one was in 1938, and the series lasted 12 years until 1950. The two major roles in the movies were played by Penny Singleton, who played, of course, Blondie, and Arthur Lake, who played Dagwood. Well, faithfulness to the comic strip was a major concern of the creators of the series, and so little touches were added that were iconic to the comic strip, like For instance, uh, Dagwood making a famous Dagwood sandwich, or uh, him colliding with the mailman uh, as he ran out the door late to work. Most of those were featured in every film. 
Singleton and Lake reprised their film roles for the radio show. The Blondie radio program was uh, fairly long-running. It uh, spanned over several networks. It was initially introduced in 1939 as a summer replacement for the Eddie Cantor show. Uh, it was also heard on CBS until June of 1944, when it moved briefly to NBC, only to return to CBS later that year. Blondie continued there under a new sponsor, which was Colgate-Palmolive, until June of 1949. In its final season, the series was heard on ABC from October 49 to July 1950. Uh, it's, it's a fun show. It's fun because uh, it's Blondie and Dagwood, after all. So the episode that we're going to listen to tonight was originally broadcast on February the 9th in 1949. And of course, their two children were Alexander and Cookie. And the name of this episode is Alexander's Valentine Dilemma. Here it comes. Ah, uh, 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 don't touch that dial. Listen to... Yes, folks, it's another half hour of fun with Blondie and Dagwood brought to you by Super Suds. The new Super Suds with Pyray, the soap that makes all your clothes look newer. What's new, what's new, what's new today, old lady? Listen while I say it's new Super Suds. With Pyray makes all your clothes look newer today. Get your white clothes whiter and colors brighter with new Super Suds. Well, the subject of Alexander's schoolwork is one that frequently gets a working over in the Bumstead house. And Blondie and Dagwood are afraid the subject is coming up again this evening when Alexander's schoolteacher, Miss Henrietta Frisbee, drops in to see them. Oh, may I take your coat, Miss Frisbee? No, thank you, Mrs. Bumstead. I just thought I'd drop in for a moment. Oh, Hey, who was at the door, Blondie? Did you give them the good old brush off? Uh, huh? uh, yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> hello. Yeah. Uh, I think you remember my husband, don't you, Miss Frisbee? Indeed I do. Indeed I do. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Miss Frisky? Please. The name is Frisbee. Oh, yes, yes, uh, Miss Frisbee, yes. Excuse me. How are you? Oh, do you do? Oh, I'm just dandy, and you? I'm dandy, too. Oh. Well, uh, Miss Frisbee, did you come here to... Uh... Ah, yes, it's too bad. But all parents regard my visits with alarm. When they see me, they're inclined to raise their eyebrows and remark, Well, here comes the old babe with the bad news. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, tell us, have Alexander's grades dropped? No, but he seemed very high-strung lately. Oh. He's very nervous. I'm telling you this because it could lead to an emotional imbalance, uh, Psychological disturbance or uh, hypertension referred to in modern psychiatrical practice as uh, the jumpy wumpies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, come to think about it, I've noticed he's been worried. This morning I caught our little son looking in the mirror for gray hairs. And this evening he only had two helpings of my lemon pie. Hmm. Well, well, not hitting the feed bag either. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> uh, oh. What's he been doing in school, Miss Frisbee? Well, it's not what he's been doing. It's what he hasn't been doing. Alexander's usually such an active boy. For instance, no one ever walks past his desk without being tripped. The children refer to that aisle as Alexander's Alley. 
<laughs> but for the last two days, there have been no casualties. Well, maybe he's decided to turn over a new leaf. No, I doubt it. But I know Alexander is worried about something. And I'd like you to find out what it is and solve the problem before it knocks his grades flatter than a two-dollar cornet. <laughs> well, thank you very much for telling us about this, Miss Frisbee. Oh, not at all. And if there's anything I can do, give me a buzzaroo. Yeah. Oh, cool, we will do. <laughs> I hope to see an early improvement in Alexander's interest in life. Just lately, things have been very dull. Goodbye now, Mrs. Bumstead. Well, thank you, and goodbye, Miss Frisky. Yeah, goodbye, Mrs. Frisky. Mr. Bumstead, uh, uh, the name is not Frisbee, it's Frisky. <laughs> I mean, it's Frisbee. <laughs> oh, goodbye. Yeah, goodbye. Oh, honey, you're always deviling poor Miss Frisky. I mean, Frisbee. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're hopeless. <laughs> now, what are we going to do about Alex? Yeah, well, we'll have a talk with him the first thing in the morning. What do you think is wrong? Well, we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> but uh, my diagnosis is dames. Now, what seems to be the trouble, Alexander? Yes, tell your father what the problem is, son. Well, parents, I've been worried. Mm -hmm. Yes, we know that, but what are you worried about? Well, it's the same old story, Mom. I'm worried about girls. <laughs> what did I tell you, Blondie? <laughs> what did I tell you, Blondie? Dames, uh, I mean, girls. Um, yes. You know, Valentine's Day is coming up, and I have to decide whether to send a Valentine to Sylvia or to Ginger. Oh, is that all it is? Why, Dagwood. Why? Valentine's can be very serious. Mm. Remember that great big lacy one you sent me once? Mm -hmm. And it said, uh, Darling, yeah. I'm swimming in an ocean of tears. Please be my heartthrob all through the yeah, year. Yeah, never mind, Barney. Gosh! <laughs> Gosh, pretty corny. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> it ended with, If you would only be my wife, I'd give up sandwiches for life. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, I couldn't send anything like that to Sylvia or Ginger. Well, Alexander, I've heard you talk about Sylvia, but who is Ginger? Oh, she's something new that's coming to my life. Oh, dear. Oh. And I thought you were so interested in Sylvia. Oh, I am, Mom. But I want to keep my eye on a spare, too. Well, <laughs> oh, you men. Well, that's the way it's got to be, Mom. Oh, women are so fickle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right, Alexander. They sure are. Dagwood. This is all except your mother. That's better. Yeah, I suppose. You see, Pop, uh. if I send a valentine to Sylvia and don't send one to Ginger, then I'm all washed up with Ginger. Oh, oh yeah. And also vice versa. Uh-huh. Well, what if you send a valentine to both of them? Well, then they'll get together and find out which valentine costs the most. Or if they both cost the same, they'll decide which has the most lace and fancy stuff on it. Mm. No matter how I figure it out, I'm going to lose one girl. Yeah. <laughs> well, personally, I don't see how you can afford more than one girl, Alexander. Well, Pop, it is pretty tough on the allowance you give me. Mm. Can we discuss that for a moment? And all some other time. <laughs> Yeah. I don't think this junior triangle problem is anything for us to get mixed up in. Mm. He better solve it himself. Yeah, it sounds a little too complicated to me, too. Oh, gee, I thought you were going to help me. All right, well, okay, let's see. Now, we'll figure something out for you. Oh, Dad, look at the time. 
time, you've got to hurry. Blondie, you're always saying that when I have plenty of... Oh, let's go. I'll get the door open yeah, for you. Yeah, I got to break all records. I'm never going to get to the office. Oh, let's face it, dear. You're going to be late anyway. The door's open. Come on, Pop. I've got your hat and coat. Hey, I, I won't be late. I'm going to make it. Where's my hat? Where's my coat? Here you are. Get my coat. Look out. What, what happened? Help. I can't see anything. Oh, Dad, would you what? got your sleeve and your hat and your head and your elbow. Well, I mean... <laughs> Is that stumble bum bumstead? It's practically nine o'clock. He's going to be late this time. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Well, that was eight, but where's nine? Come on, strike nine. Strike. I made it. There. <laughs> bumstead, you're awful lucky. Yeah. That clock gave you a long count. Well, it ought to do something for me, Mr. Ditters. Every Saturday night, I see that it gets well oiled. <laughs> oh, no. Look, I promised myself I wouldn't shout at you today. But are you aware of the fact that tomorrow's St. Valentine's Day and you haven't warned me as I told you to last oh. year? Yeah, that's right. I remember you wanted me to remind you to send a memo to myself to remind you to get Mrs. Dillis a pair of earrings, a box of candy, and two dozen of red roses, yeah. But, Bumstead, you forgot to remind me to send you a memo to remind me. But you didn't remember to remind me to send you a memo. I did remember to remind you to remind you. <laughs> well, what's the use? I also wanted to send the wife a comic valentine. I was going to get one of those real revolting ones. yeah. Just doesn't seem fair, Mr. Diddies. Well, I'll give her the earrings myself as a present, along with a box of candy. Ah. That'll make her feel good. Yeah. Then I'll send the roses to her with a card saying, from someone who loves you. And she'll never guess it from me. No. <laughs> oh, I see that she'll think she has a secret admirer, huh? That'll make her feel so good she'll be difficult to live with. So I gotta send her the comic Valentine to bring her back down to the earth again. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see if I can find one entitled. Baboon girl. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mr. Dennis, what made you remember Valentine's Day was coming up? Oh, Cora sent me a little reminder in the morning mail. Mm. It came in that heart-shaped red box over there. Oh, uh, what was it? A first aid kit. <laughs> I caught on right away. Oh, that reminds me. Valentine's Day almost made me late this morning. Almost? Mm. You were saved by that chiseling chime. Mm. Well, what's the matter now? Well, Alexander's got a Valentine's Day problem with two little girls. Oh, those good old school days. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when I was going steady with five different girls in five different towns and keeping up a hot correspondence with all of them. Yeah, of course, the males were slower in those days. Well, I wasn't one of the slow ones. <laughs> oh, you mean the postal service was slow? Yeah. But on second thought, you could have always used the Pony Express, couldn't you? Bombstead. Yeah. I'm not that old. Hey, oh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe it just seems that way. Huh? Oh, I, oh, look, Mr. Gittes, I really wanted to get an opinion from you about Alexander's little problem. Remember? Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, I'll be delighted to put my experience at the disposal of little Bumlet. Mm -hmm. Well, it's about... Uh, 
Well, he's got two little girls, Sylvia and Ginger, and if he sends a valentine to one, he'll lose the other, and if he sends one to both, <laughs> they'll compare them and find out which is the best, and he'll be in hot water. Uh, what should he do, signed Anxious? Dear Anxious, I had a problem like that once. I solved it by not sending anything to either of the girls. Then I went to each of them separately and asked her how she liked the ten-pound box of candy I sent her. Yeah, but uh, what did you say when she said she didn't get any candy at all? I told her I'd spend my last cent on it, that I'd been swindled. And then I put my head on her shoulder and cried like a baby. So she told me not to feel bad, that it was the thought that really counted. Gee, Mr. Dithers, you haven't changed a bit, have you? <laughs> well, of course, after that, I'd refuse the loan of $5 she'd offer me, but when she insisted, I'd accept it. Then I'd go over and take the other girl out with the five bucks. <laughs> oh, I love Valentine's Day. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Alexander had better try that. Why not? Well, he's not like you, J.C. <laughs> to do that, he'd have to be sort of a crook. Uh, kind of a... Uh, well, a, a rat, a rodent. No, well, he's not your type. Well, that'll be all from you, BB Brain. Yeah. I'll get him there to your desk and get to work. Oh, thank you. Yes, sir. And I'm going to check this clock. And if it's slow, I'll dock your pay for every second of work that I didn't get. Yeah. And as a bonus, I'll run your little finger in the pencil sharpener. <laughs> The second bus that's passed me up. I'll never get home if I don't get a ride from my... Hey, that looks like Miss Buff Orpington's big long limousine. Hey, Miss Buff Orpington! Oh. Hi, Mrs. Buff Orpington. Oh, Mr. Bobson, hello, hello there, dear boy. <laughs> well, how are you? I'm simply splendid now, but this morning I was terribly put out. Uh, you were put out? Uh, what happened? Uh, Rogers, my butler, lost his glasses, oh. and when I came down for breakfast, he threw me out of the house. <laughs> oh, yes, he said he thought I was the third assistant floor mopper. Oh, <laughs> oh but tell me, dear boy, how are you? <laughs> oh, I'm pretty good. <laughs> oh, you look very good to me. <laughs> so strong, so handsome, so Robert Taylor made. He <laughs> thanks, and you look very barbarous. Stand wicked yourself. <laughs> oh, dear boy, do you really mean it? Or are you just saying that to be polite? No, I'm just saying it to be polite. <laughs> I was a fool to ask. Oh, incidentally, uh, Miss Buff Orpington, uh, happy Valentine's Day in advance. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, and a cute, cute, cupid to you, too. <laughs> oh, can I drop you anywhere? Well, just as long as it isn't on my head. Are you through? <laughs> hop, hop right in and sit here next to me. Oh, thank you. Oh, this is nice. <laughs> uh, well, either this seat uh, keeps getting narrower or one of us uh, is keeps... Getting wider. <laughs> what have you been having for dessert lately, Miss Bob Orpington, huh? 
Mr. Bumstead, I've had the seat made narrower. It's uh, cozy, isn't it? Yes. It's sort of crowded, too, isn't it? Yeah, but it's better than walking home. Yes. You know, my late husband, Mr. Bob Orpington, Mm. the man who invented the chicken, you know, Mm. whenever he wanted to go somewhere, he always used to say, drive on, awesome. Sure was swell, Mrs. Buff Orpington, to drive me home. Boy, I wonder what Blondie's having for dinner. A good meal certainly makes all your little problems disappear like magic. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, it's you, Cookie. Hi, I scared you. Oh, I know. I knew you were hiding behind that tree all the time. Daddy, hmm. what's magic? Uh, magic? Well, it's, uh, well, magic is something that makes something happen that can't happen because if it did happen, it would be magic, see? <laughs> see, Cookie? <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I guess so. Yeah. Then why does Mommy say new super suds like, is like magic? Well, here's Uncle Howard. He'll tell you. Why, sure, that's easy, Cookie. Your Mommy means that new super suds with Pyray seems like magic because new super suds makes all your clothes look newer. Makes all our clothes look newer? Even my blue plaid dress? Sure, your blue plaid dress. New Super Suds makes any kind of colored clothes just blossom out. Colors look brighter and fresher. Even Daddy's old white shirts look newer. Whiter than new, honey. How, Uncle Howard? Well, it's the Pyray in New Super Suds, Cookie. Pyray gives clothes a whiteness, colors a brightness, like nothing we ever imagined before scientists discovered this new type of ingredient. That's why new Super Suds beat sunshine at getting clothes white, colors bright, even when dried in the basement. Say, Dagwood, the more I talk about it, the more I think new Super Suds must be magic. Uh, Except new Super Suds, it's something that uh, makes something happen that does happen, and since it does happen, it can't be magic. (laughs) Oh, well, who needs magic anyhow when new Super Suds with Pyray makes all your clothes look newer? Well, I gotta be on my way to get some Valentine's. So long. Yeah, goodbye, Howard. Bye, Mr. Petrie. Mm-hmm. Okay, Cookie, now you better put away your sled and, and come on in for dinner. All right, Daddy. I'll be in as fast as I can. Blondie! I'm not home, Dagwood. How do you like that? I work all day at the office, and when I come home, Blondie isn't here. Oh, dear. Hey, what are you doing here? I thought you said that you were. Oh, what am I saying? Oh, Dagwood, I was just fooling. What's wrong with you? Uh, well, I don't know. I, I guess I'm worrying about Alexander and his little problem. I haven't been able to figure anything out, and a father ought to be able to help his son solve his problems. Well, don't you worry anymore. I have a wonderful solution, Dagwood. Oh, well, what is it, Blondie? You moved to another town, maybe? Oh, no, really. It's a good idea. Uh-oh, here's Alexander now. Hello, folks. Ask me how I feel. What? Oh, yes. <clears throat> Alexander, how do you feel? I feel awful. Gee, I expected a funny answer. No, no, I don't feel that way. Sylvia practically told me that she expected me to send her a fancy white lace valentine. Mm. And Ginger told me the same thing later. Mm. And they were plenty firm about it, too. Oh, I'm a dead duck. (laughs) Alexander, I have an idea for you. Well, probably won't help any. Gee, poor Alexander, always in trouble. Yeah, 
Well, come on, ask me what the idea is. Show a little interest. Okay, what's the idea? You send a valentine to every single girl in your grade in school. Holy smoke! Hey, Blondie, that's a sensational idea. Oh, I do a little thinking now and then. I like to toss off an occasional brainstorm. (laughs) (laughs) To every girl? Every single one. And if they happen to take a popularity poll among the girls tomorrow morning, I can promise you, you'd win. Now, what do you think of my idea? Well, it's pretty daring. Uh, well, we bumstads are very daring people. Look at me. I married your mother. Oh. Uh, <laughs> oh, I mean, Dagwood. Look, Alexander, I've got the Valentines right here. Lots and lots of them. Well, okay, let's try it, Mom. But what about Sylvia and Ginger? Well, they'll get one like everybody else. Well, I feel like I'm putting my foot in a trap. Oh, you won't be. Well, okay. Let's start addressing the umblos right after dinner. Right. Oh, gee. Boy, I'm beginning to get writer's cramp. Look at that pile of valentines I've addressed. Look at that. Me too. Same here. I'm so tired, I'm just signing mine. Alex, bum. Yeah. (laughs) I'm so tired, I'm just signing mine a bum. (laughs) Oh, my, what a name this is. Bertha Hooper Whistle, Jr., Oh, she's really a knockout, too. You better address it by her nickname. Oh, what's that? Oh, we call her Sonia because she's such a good skate. Yeah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Well, I just got one more. It's for Mary Sue Miller. Well, I'm sending my last Valentine to Joan Pingree. Hmm. And I say my last one for the Jones girl. We call her Gorgeous Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> well, all through. Excuse me while I wash the ink off my fingers. Yeah, you're excused. Thank you, dear. Well, there sure are a pile of valentines. I ought to get some interesting results. Mm. Say, Pop. Yeah, hi. What are you giving Mom for Valentine's Day tomorrow? Who? You know, Pop, Mom, Blondie. Oh, oh, yes, yes, a Blondie, my uh, mom. Oh, my, I, I, I forgot to get her something. Well, gee, you better go out right now and get a bottle of perfume for Mom or a big box of candy, you know, your favorite kind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, you're not kidding. If I don't get her something, I'll be sunk. Oh, you can probably pick up a nice present at Swabber's Rug Store. Yeah, but I'll have to hurry. Pop. It, what, huh? Oh, yes. Yeah, Would yeah, you mind if I took the car for a few minutes? Mm-hmm. I've got a couple of errands I forgot to do this afternoon, and I want to mail yeah. these valentines so the girls will get them the yeah. first thing in the morning. Yeah, okay, Blondie, but uh, I think I'll go with you, dear. Oh, you don't have to, Dagwood. Uh, you've had a hard day. Why don't you just stay home? Oh, no, I, I'm, I'm uh, okay. I have, uh, well, I have a couple of things I've got to do, too, dear. Oh, but it'll only take me a minute, and then you can have the car for as long as you want. Well, it'll only take me a minute, too, dear. Uh, I better go with you, I think. Well, and, I, um, all right, dear. Alexander, what are you smiling at? Oh, nothing at all, nothing at all. <laughs> well, let's go then, Dagwood, if you still want to. Oh, yeah, I still want to. Mm-hmm. Now, whatever you do, don't forget to mail my valentines. <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Bumstead, what can I do for you? Well, Mr. Schwaber, I wanted to get, uh, uh, oh, <laughs> well, now, let me see. Uh, you go ahead and get what you want first, Dagwood. No, no, Blondie, you, you go right ahead. I've got plenty of well, time. Well, oh, that's funny. It, it slipped my mind now. 
What was it I wanted? Well, uh, how about you, Mr. Bumstead? Would you like to uh, buy... No, no, I'll just wait for... Oh, you go ahead and get what you came for, Dick. <laughs> Isn't that strange? I uh, can't remember either. Well, uh, maybe you'd like uh, a little sandwich, Mr. Bumstead. A little sandwich, yeah. You know, Mr. Swabber, I don't like those little anemic things you make. Um, why didn't your drugstore serve a nice, real he-man-sized sandwich? The kind of sandwich you want is a lunch counter between two loaves of bread. <laughs> All right, now, uh, you folks decided what you wanted yet? Uh-uh, I can't remember. Yeah, isn't that funny? Neither can I. Uh, yeah, maybe we'd better have a soda first, huh? Hey, that's a good idea. Yeah. Hmm. It's funny you people can't remember what you came for, but I'm always glad to sell sodas. <laughs> Good. Uh, Dagwood, that's enough. Uh, You're at the bottom of that soda. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. So I am, yeah. What's the matter? Get a cherry cotton in your straw? Yeah, mm, sure was good. Uh, Blondie, uh, your soda was kind of quiet, wasn't it? Well, I didn't try to inhale the bottom of the glass. Yeah. <laughs> well, dear, you get what you were going to get from Mr. Swabber, and, uh, and I'll be right with you. Uh, Dagwood... Mm. What did you come here to get? Oh, just a thing. <laughs> what about you? The same thing. Uh, <laughs> Dagwood, I'll bet you forgot to get me a Valentine's Day present, didn't now, you? Now, Blondie, you know I always had some sort of a little present for you. Oh, go on. You're going to buy it right now, yeah. aren't you? Yeah, well, where is my Valentine's Day present? You answer me first. Yeah. You forgot me too, didn't you, Blondie? Well, I... Uh, All right, uh, here you are, Mr. and Mrs. Bumstead. What? Hey, wait a minute. What, what, what are these packages, Mr. Swabber? Well, Mr. Bumstead, give this to Mrs. Bumstead tomorrow. Mm. And Mrs. Bumstead, this is for Mr. Bumstead. Uh, I'll just put these on the bill. Uh, but how did you know what we wanted, Mr. Swabber? Mrs. Bumstead, you learn a lot about life in a drugstore. <laughs> Well, good morning, Blondie. Good morning, Dagwood. Happy Valentine's Day. Oh. Uh, darling, mm-hmm. here's a little present for you I picked up. Well, happy Valentine's Day to you. <laughs> and here's what I got you. Yeah. Oh, now, let's both look and see how good Mr. Schwaber's taste is. Yeah. Hey, incidentally, where's Alexander? Oh, he left long ago. He went to school early to see which way the Valentine wind was blowing, so to speak. Yeah. Why, Dagwood, <laughs> such a lovely bottle of perfume. <laughs> Oh, you really shouldn't have done it. Oh, it was nothing, Blondie. It's not nearly good enough for you. Let's see it. Is there a price tag on it? (laughs) It's very lush and wonderful. What did I give you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see. Oh, boy, Blondie. Oh, thanks, darling. It's a big bottle of that new men's cologne. Oh, what's it called? It's called Hairy Chest. Very <laughs> chest. Oh, that's wonderful, Blonde. Well, I thought you'd like it. Mm. And you did remember to send me a sweet Valentine in the mail, didn't you? Mm. And here's mine to you. Oh, this is sweet of you, dear. Here's something in return. Why, Oh, my goodness, that's Alexander. Yeah, well, what is he doing home now? Holy smoke, folks! <laughs> What's the matter, Alexander? It's all those Valentines we sent. 
The girls went crazy. They mobbed me. They were crowding around and kissing me. Ooh, even the, some of the good-looking ones. Oh, I had to get away from them, so I rushed right back here. Oh, that's too bad. Boy, as soon as I get my win, I'll go back and try it again. Uh-uh-uh-uh, don't go away, folks. The bum says he'll be back in just a moment. Ginger, goodbye. Well, for heaven's sake. Yeah, well, what was all that talking, Alexander? That was Sylvia and Ginger, and they're never going to speak to me again. Remember, folks, every Wednesday over these same NBC stations, another half hour of fun with all the bumsteads brought to you by Super Suds. The new Super Suds with Pyrae, the soap that makes all your clothes look newer. Tell all your friends to tune in next Wednesday at the same time for Blondie, starring Penny Singleton and Arthur Lake with Hanley Stafford. The script is by John L. Green from characters created by Chick Young. Next Saturday evening, hear Colgate's Hour of Fun, hilarious Judy Canova, followed immediately by A Day in the Life of Dennis Day, two laugh-packed half-hours. Next Saturday evening over NBC. Americans... Hungry millions abroad need your help. Do you know you can easily help feed these needy families? Just send $10 to CARE New York for a food package or specify one of CARE's other packages. Give your name and address and name and address of recipient. If you do not know someone you would like to help, one of CARE's member agencies will choose a needy family for you. You will receive a signed receipt when your package is delivered. Information about CARE packages may be obtained at CARE offices throughout the country. Remember... Care sends more for less. This is Howard Petrie saying good night from Hollywood. From February 9th, 1949, that was Blondie, the radio program. And the name of that episode was Alexander's Valentine Dilemma. I, um... I have to admit, I don't read the comics anymore like I used to. I used to be a big, big comic fan. And Blondie was always always one of my favorites. Especially on Sunday, they could take, in those few panels, make a... Uh, Chick Young, the, the creator, could make a really complicated uh, storyline. Uh, sort of like a sitcom with uh, a lot of different things happening at one time and then all of these things sort of uh, having a bad synergy with one another. And they could be very funny. I always liked the fact that in every panel, too, there was a dog. It was either Daisy, for a while it was Elmer, which was Daisy's pup. But everything that Blondie or Dagwood is doing in the home is being watched and observed and reacted to by the dog who is just always down in the lower part of the panel. And it just always cracked. Here's a couple notes I found on the comic strip, Blondie, because after all, it is over 75 years old. And uh, this article said, while the distinctive look and running gags of Blondie have been carefully preserved through the decades, a number of details have been altered to keep up with the changing times. 
The Bumstead Kitchen, which remained essentially unchanged from the 30s through the 60s, has slowly acquired a more modern look. No longer do you see legs on the gas range and no more refrigerators shown with the compressor assembly on top. Oh my, even baby boomers hardly remember that. Dagwood no longer wears a hat when he goes to work, nor does Blondie wear her previous hat and gloves every time she leaves the house. Although some bedroom and bathroom scenes still show him in polka dot boxer shorts, Dagwood no longer wears garters to hold up his socks. When he's home, he frequently wears sports shirts. His standard dress shirt with the one large button in the middle is slowly disappearing, and no longer does he smoke a pipe at all. Blondie now often wears slacks. She is no longer depicted as a housewife since in 1991 she teamed with her good friend Tootsie Woodley to launch a catering business. Sure, Dagwood still knocks head with his boss, Mr. Dithers, but now he does so in a more modern office at J.C. Dithers Construction Company where desks now show flat panel computer monitors and Mr. Dithers, when in a range, attempts to smash his laptop into Dagwood's head instead of the old manual typewriter. The staff no longer punches in at the mechanical time clock, nor nor do they wear green eye shades and plastic sleeve protectors. Telephones have changed from candlestick styles to more modern dial phones to touch tone, and finally on to cell phones. Dagwood now begins each morning racing to meet his carpool rather than chasing a missed streetcar or city bus. Even Mr. Beasley, the mail carrier, now dresses in short-sleeved shirts and walking shorts rather than the military-style uniform of days gone by. During the late 1990s and 2000 to 2001, Alexander worked part-time after high school at the order counter of a fast-food restaurant called The Burger Barn. There are still occasional references to Cookie and her babysitting. Daisy, who once had a litter of puppies that lived with the family, is now the only dog seen in the Bumstead household. Cookie and Alexander can be seen in modern clothing, sometimes using cell phones, referencing current television shows, and serial networking sites while talking about attending rock concerts or popular current rock, and hip-hop music. In the modern strip, when Dagwood is working in his basement woodshop, he is wearing safety eyeglasses. Strips in recent years have included references to developments in technology and communication, such as Facebook, Twitter, email, and text messaging. It's amazing this strip is still going on, and it's still, it looks the same. It just has all these modern touches. Truly one of the really good comic strips over the years. Consistently funny, great characters. Blondie.
you know what that music means. It means it is time to go back to 1874. Walking down Front Street shoulder to shoulder with Marshal Matt Dillon. Looking for Chester and Doc and Kitty and all the gang on Gunsmoke. We've got a good one tonight. This is a uh, script by John Meston. And it was first broadcast on CBS back in 1955 on April the 30th. The name of tonight's episode is Reward for Matt. And it's a suspenseful one. Here it comes. City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad, the transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America, and the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. Doc. Oh, hello, Chester. Come on over and sit down. Well, I guess it won't hurt for a minute or two just to sit here. Oh, <laughs> might as well be sitting out here on the street and loafing around your office. Yeah. Oh, no, that's loafing. Oh, Say, now, if, if I could tell you what I, I didn't do. mean nothing, Doc. I wasn't even thinking. Oh, well, I can believe that. <clears throat> What's bothering you, Chester? Mr. Dillon. What? I'm kind of worried about him, Doc. You are? Why? Well, look. It is near dark and he ain't showed up yet. I don't even know where he is. Well, I think Matt can take care of himself, Chester. Sure, but usually he leaves a note or something, Doc. Well, a man doesn't have to do things the same way all the time. I know now, that. Now, for instance, it's like Mrs. Hull the other day. She came to ask me how to get her baby to sleep at night. Now, for example, what would you have told her? Oh, no. <laughs> now, you think. You just think now, Jesse. After all, you were a baby once. How'd your mother get you to sleep? She didn't have no trouble. Well, the usual way is to rock the baby. But you know what I told Mrs. Hull to do? Doc, I really ain't interested. <laughs> well, you're going to hear it anyway. I told her to take the baby and smear its little fingers with thick molasses. What? Yes, and then I told her to give it a half a dozen chicken feathers. 
What for? Well, I figured he'd pluck the feathers from hand to hand until he fell asleep. And then if it woke up again, all she had to do was to give it some more molasses and feathers. Well, seems to me that'd only make the little baby mad. Oh, man, that shows how much you know about babies, Jenny. Oh, my goodness <laughs> gracious. Can't we talk about something else, Doc? Uh, so you start something. Hey, wait time. a minute. Um, There's Mr. Dillon. Where? Riding up the street there, leading that horse with a pack on it. Oh, yeah. Doc, look. What? That ain't no pack he's got tied on that horse. No. No, that isn't. That's a man. A dead one. Yes, yes. Who do you suppose it is? Well, I don't know. Hi, Mr. Dillon. Hello, Chester. Doc. Hello, man. Who you got there? Mel Hornby. Mel Hornby? I went out to ask him some questions about that sod buster that got murdered last month. Oh, Jake Reeve? Yeah. That Hornby took offense, and he tried to kill me. Well, you think he had something to do with the Reeves murder, man? He did it, Doc. He admitted it just before he died. A big rancher like old Mel Hornby killing a poor, half-starved little homesteader? Now they had an argument about something, and Hornby's temper got the best of him. The way it did today. But how come you bought the body to Dodge, Matt? I should think Mrs. Hornby would want him out there. I didn't find him at home, Doc. He was way out on the prairie handling some stock. I'll get a wagon in the morning and take him back. Take him? Oh, I don't envy you. Old Mrs. Hornby's a pretty mean woman. Yeah, I know. Hey, you better let Chester do that. Uh, she can't blame him for anything. No. I'll do it, Doc. I killed him. <laughs> Morning, Joseph. I hired a team and wagon for you to stand outside. No, thanks. <clears throat> Near 10 o'clock already? Yeah, well, I'll get started. There you are, Marshal. Miss Hornby? Where's my husband? You got him here? Uh, well, won't you sit down, then? I've been sitting down since dawn on a saddle. My husband didn't come home last night, and I figured it had something to do with you. You found him, didn't you? Yes, ma'am, I... I found it. Well, where is he? Got him in jail on some fool charge? I want to know what's going on, Marshal. I should have made you tell me when you come by. Miss Hornby, your husband's dead. What? He tried to kill me. You shot him? I had to. You killed my husband? I wanted to talk to him about Jake Reeves. But as soon as I mentioned Reeves' name, he went for his gun. I'm sorry it happened that way, ma'am. I don't believe you. Why would he do that? What did he care about Jake Reeves? He killed him, Miss Hornby. I didn't know that, but he admitted it before he died. Is that true? Yes, and that's true. Well, he should have had a trial. He'd have got off. Who cares about a man like Reeves? You murdered my husband, Marshal. He didn't have a chance against you. He had a gun and he tried to kill me with it, ma'am. Too bad he didn't. But you're going to die anyway, Marshal. What? I said you're going to die. I've got money. 
I'm going to hire you killed. Now, wait a minute, ma'am. A thousand dollars, that ought to do it, and you can't stop me. There ain't a thing in the world you can do about it. All right. All right. Who are you going to hire? Oh, so you can be watching for him or maybe go right out after him? No. Ain't going to work that way, Marshal. It ain't one man I'm going to hire. It's a whole army of men. You won't have a chance any more than my husband did. Now, where's his body? I'm going to get him buried and then go to work on getting you killed. More coffee, Matt? Uh, no, no thanks, Kitty. I think I've had enough. Hey, that was a good dinner, wasn't it? <laughs> Matt, you're awful calm for a man who's been threatened the way you have. Uh, Miss Hornby? Don't you think she meant what you said yesterday? Well, I don't know where she's going to hire an army for a thousand dollars. But I suppose it is some kind of a compliment. If she thinks that I'm that hard to kill. Well, you're not taking this very serious, Matt. Now, there's nothing I can do, Kitty, until I find out what she's up to. Well, maybe she's just crazy. She sure sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Where'd she bury him, Matt? She take him back to the ranch? No. Now she buried him up on Boot Hill. Boot Hill? She said if that's the way he got killed, that's the place he was going to get buried. Sounds like she was mad at him. I think it was shame, Kitty. She wasn't very proud of her husband getting shot down like an ordinary lawbreaker. That's a pretty easy word for a murderer. I don't think his killing Jake Reeves meant a thing to her, Kitty. Why, he might as well have shot a horse for all she cared. All she cares about herself. Mr. Dillon? Hello, Miss Kitty. Uh, hello, Chester. Sit down and have some coffee. <laughs> I'll sit, but there ain't no time for no coffee. Oh, what's that poster you got, sir? That's what I come to find you about, Mr. Dillon. I tore this poster off the board down at the depot, uh-huh. but there's more of them. Fellow there told me she's putting them up all over Dodge. What? Here, you read it. Hmm. $1,000 reward to the first man that can prove Matt Dillon is dead. He doesn't have to prove anything else. Money is in safe at Dodge House and will be paid in cash immediately. Signed, Mrs. Mel Hornby. Matt, she can't get by with that. You can put her in jail. You sure can. And I'll go around and tear down the rest of them posters. No, no. No, Chester, too many people have read them by now. And some of them are probably already thinking about it. And put her in jail till she takes it back, Matt. Make her print up some more saying it isn't true. You think she'd do that, Kitty? Miss Hornby? Matt, you're going to have every greedy bum in Dodge out trying to ambush you. Yeah. Yeah, Kitty. A whole army of them. I spent the next couple of days looking over one shoulder everywhere I went. Sitting with my back to the wall. Keeping away from windows. 
And come evenings, I tried to get set somewhere before it got dark so I wouldn't have to walk past alleyways or through patches of light on the street. Strings a man tight living that way. Too tight. I found that out one afternoon when Chester and I were sitting on the porch in front of the office. I locked the door out back, Mr. Dillon. At least ain't nobody going to come up on you that way. Oh, good, Chester. Wouldn't you be better off sitting inside? Out here, I can see what's going on. You couldn't see a man with a rifle if he was hit out in one of them buildings across the street? No. And I can't dig a hole and hide in it, either. No, oh, sir. Look yonder at that fool kid. He's going to run somebody down riding that way. He's trying to ride like an Indian. Look how low he's bent. Hey, he's got a gun in his hand. Hey, Doc Chester! Mr. Dillon? You hurt Mr. Dillon? No, he missed me. But he was shooting mighty close. Well, you got him. Yeah, I got him. That kid must be crazy. Riding by like that and trying to shoot you? Yeah. Hey, you don't suppose... I don't know, Chester. He's still alive. I'll carry him up to Doc's. You take care of his horse, huh? Yes, sir. My, he's awful young, ain't he? Yeah. He's awful young. How is he, Doc? Come on in, Matt. He's conscious now, but I, I don't know how long it'll last. You're gonna die. You better hurry if you want to talk to him, Matt. Yeah. Okay. How you feeling, son? Bad. Real bad, Marshal. Ah, uh, Doc, I'll take good care of you. Uh, who are you? What's your name? Can't tell you my name. Well, why not? My name don't matter. All right. But you tried to shoot me. Why? Reward. Thousand dollars. We needed that money. We needed it bad. Who needed it? I seen you sitting there. And then I went and got my horse. I almost killed you. But I'm sorry I did it. I'm real sorry. I don't worry about that now. Everything's gonna be. <laughs> I'm a Marshall. Son. Doc. I'm right here, man. He's dead. Nobody could have saved him. No. How old would you say was that? Oh, 15, maybe. It's not your fault, Matt. I killed him. Now, Matt, 
I'm going over to the Dodge house, Doc. Mrs. Hornby? Yeah. You. I thought it was somebody come for their money. Somebody almost dead, Miss Hornby. That's all? I killed him. You kill a lot of people, don't you, Marshal? When I have to. Well, maybe the next one will get you. Maybe. What'd you come to see me for? I thought maybe I could get you to change your mind. What's the matter, Marshal? Getting scared? Well, I don't enjoy knowing somebody might shoot me any minute. Ah. But I don't like the idea that I might have to shoot somebody any minute either. Well, shouldn't bother a man like you. I told you your husband tried to kill me. Don't you understand that? I don't care about understanding it. You know who you hired this afternoon? It don't matter. Except I wish he'd been a better gunman. He wasn't a man, Mrs. Hornby. He was a boy. Fifteen. He was poor. He needed the money for somebody else. I don't even know his name. I thought you killed him. How do you know he did it for the money? He didn't die right off. Oh. Well, how does it make you feel, Miss Hornby? The next one won't be a boy, Marshal. Or the one after that. Miss Hornby. What? You're a terrible, selfish old woman. a drunk staggered up to me on the street. He had a gun in his hand. But I buffaloed him before he could use it. And I threw him in jail. Later, about midnight, it was different. A mule skinner tried to shoot me from behind a water barrel. His first shot missed. And a second later, he discovered his mistake. The barrel was empty. And he died there. And nobody else seemed willing to take a chance. At least that night. The next day, about noon, Chester and I were on our way to Delmonico's when we saw Ms. Hornby coming up Bronx Street. She's looking right at you, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, she's probably going to complain about how I treat her hired hands. Too bad she's a woman, ain't she? Things would be a lot different if she wasn't, Chester. Maybe she's thought it over. Maybe she's going to change her mind. It'll take more than a couple of killings for that. Mm, she don't seem to care at all that her husband murdered poor old Jake Reeve. My, if she ain't the one meanest looking woman 
she's waiting for. Hello, Miss Hornby. I want to talk to you, Marshal. All right, ma'am. I hear you killed another man last night. The first of your men I killed was a boy, Miss Hornby. Still harping on that? Doesn't bother you at all, does it? He was a fool to try it. That money meant a lot to him. Find out who he was? No. Well, it don't matter. No, not to you. Marshal, I'll make you a deal. A deal? That's what I said. I'll withdraw the reward if you get out of Dodge. Leave the country and don't ever come back. Why? It's my business. Why? Beginning to bother you all the blood that's being spilled Never up. Never mind that. You're going to do it? You know, Miss Hornby, you haven't thought straight since your husband got shot. Got shot by you. By me. What's your answer, Marshal? Miss Hornby, I hate killing. I hate it as much as you hated losing your husband. But I'm not leaving. You sure, Marshal? I'm sure. Mister? Who's that? Go see what she wants, Chester. Yes, sir. I'm coming, lady. You'll just kill more men if you stay here. Till one of them gets you. You're the only one that can stop that, Miss Hornby. Well, I ain't gonna stop it. And some man that knows what he's doing will be along soon, maybe today, Marshal. You're not helping anybody this way. Mr. Jones? Yeah. Um, this lady's looking for you. She drove that wagon all the way to town to find you. Near 20 miles, she said. Oh, is that so? Um... Well, what can I do for you, ma'am? I don't want to bother you if you're busy, Marshal. No, it's all right. I'm looking for my boy. Your boy? He's going to get himself in trouble lest I stop him. Bad trouble, I know it. Oh? Uh, what's he planning to do, ma'am? Well, I, I'm ashamed to tell you this, Marshal, but he took his gun when he left home yesterday. So? There'd been talk about that $1,000 reward for you, Marshal. How old was your boy, ma'am? Going on 15. He doesn't know what he's doing. I, I gotta find him and stop him, Marshal. He's only doing it because we're about to starve out there. Him and me and my little girl. Uh, ma'am, Wait, I... Marshal. You gotta understand the boy first. Why he's doing it. All right. Why? My husband got killed a month ago. Shot. And since then, we've been near starving to death. The boy tried, but we... we ain't been making it. Excuse me, ma'am. I want to ask you something. Why, sure. What's your name? Mrs. Reeves. My husband was Jake Reeves. Did you know him? No. No, I didn't. But my husband... He knew him. Didn't he, Marshal? He did? That's what he told me. Well, what's your name? Never mind my name right now, Mrs. Reeves. I... I don't understand. Marshal. Yes, ma'am. You were right about me being a terrible, selfish old woman. But would you do something for me? I think so. There'll be an envelope at the Dodge House. It'll be in your name. You know what to do with it. 
Yes, ma'am, I think I know. I'm going home now. Goodbye, Mrs. Reeves. Goodbye. I don't understand what you were saying, Mark. Miss Reeves, you want to come to my office and I'll try to explain it to you. I'll try to explain a lot of things to you. Produced and directed by Norman McDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Our story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Tom Hanley and Bill James. Featured in the cast were Jeanette Nolan, Sam Edwards, and Helen Clee. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNair is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Also enjoy Chesterfield's great radio show. Perry Como sings all the top tunes on CBS Radio every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Jack Webb stars in Dragnet on Tuesday night. Check your local listings. Remember, listen again next week for another transcribed story of the Western Frontier when Marshal Matt Dillon, Chester Proudfoot, Doc, and Kitty, together with all the other hard-living citizens of Dodge, will be with you once more. It's America growing west in the 1870s. It's drama. It's gun smoke. Brought to you by L&M Filter. was originally broadcast on April the 30th back in 1955 and the name of that script was Reward for Matt on Gunsmoke. More Gunsmoke next time. Well, I guess it's time to pick all the shows up and carry them back into the vault.
folks. That's going to kick things in the head for another week. We'll be back in two weeks. We'll do it all over again. And I just want to thank you for stopping by. I hope you enjoyed our selection tonight. Something a little different. Maybe next week we'll get uh, a little more traditional. Chester, I want to thank you and the guys again for a really, really entertaining uh, uh, version of the same theme song. You're welcome. You're welcome. All you guys. Yeah, thanks. Come on back, will you? Okay. All right, everybody. That's going to do it. We'll see you next time. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by. And I am so glad you met me. of April, the county called Gray. Here's what all of the people there say. Well, it's so long. It's been good to know ya so long. It's been good to know ya so long. It's been good to know ya. This dusty old dust is getting my home. And I got to be drifting